Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to Royals Review Radio, Episode 3. I'm your host, Max Reaper, the editor of Royals Review, part of the SB Nation Network of Blogs. Uh, well, we have baseball right around the corner, so we're going to be looking toward, forward to the season. And so joining me today will be writers, uh, two writers from Royals Review, Josh Ward and Sean Newkirk, as we put our predictions on the line for the 2015 season. Uh, later on in the show, I'll be joined by Jason Lukehart of Let's Go Tribe to uh, preview the Cleveland Indians, one of our division rivals. Also, I have Jim Margulis of Southside Sox to preview the Chicago White Sox. Uh, but first, joining me is Sean Newkirk, who's now made it a perfect three for three in Royals Review Radio appearances. So thanks again for being on the show, Sean. It, it's officially a streak now. After three, it's officially a streak, so I'll take it. Yeah, you're kind of like the Ed McMahon now of the Royals Review Radio. <laughs> right. So. right. Uh, you can follow Sean on Twitter at SeanCore, S-H-A-U-N-C-O-R-E. Also joining us for the first time is uh, one of our writers, Josh Ward. How are you doing, Josh? I'm good. It's uh, glad to be here, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you sound so thrilled to be here. Uh, you can follow Josh at uh, on Twitter at Joshua K. Ward. Well, guys, we're, uh, we're less than a week from baseball games that actually count in the standings. None of this surprise uh, fake game stuff. Uh, the Royals are wrapping up spring training, and it's been a pretty quiet spring training. They've kind of they don't have a lot of roster battles. They they pretty much have their starting nine set and their rotation set. Uh, if they had anything to kind of determine, it was maybe the order that those hitters would hit in, especially with two new guys in the lineup. Uh, Ned kind of shuffled the lineup quite a bit towards the end of last year, mm-hmm. uh, but it looks like this year he's gonna he's gonna roll with Alcides Escobar leading off, uh, kind of like he did last year, the last 15 games of last year in the postseason last year. He decided that that was a winning formula. He's going to stick with Esky, uh, followed by uh, Alex Gordon. It sounds like he's going to hit number two. And then Lorenzo Cain, third. Uh, uh, Eric Hosmer, fourth. Alex Rios, or Kendrick Morales, fifth. Alex Rios, sixth. Uh, Salvador Perez, Mike Moustakas, and then Omar Infante. Uh, Josh, Esky leading off. I mean, he's got a career 299 on base percentage. Yeah, he was all right at the end of last year, but is there any hope that he's going to be a, a decent on-base guy for the Royals this year? Well, I think the best that you can really hope for is that he somehow matches what he did last year, which, I mean, he, he managed a, a, a triple slash of 285, 317, 377, um, which was good for a weighted runs created plus of 94, so about 6% below league average. 
Um, and that's probably the upper range of what you can expect. I mean, in 2012, he had an on-base of 331. So he's capable of it, but he also had a really high spike in his batting average on balls in play that year. So I don't know that you can expect much more than what he did last year. And the downside of all of that is is what you might get from him is what he did in 2013 when his on-base was 259. Um, and he was statistically one of the worst everyday hitters in baseball. So I think the biggest problem is that there's a lot of volatility in what he's going to accomplish. And that's not really something you want out of somebody who is supposed to be setting up the rest of your lineup. Yeah, I mean, one of the problems I have, I think, is, you know, they don't have a philosophy of having on-base guys. So, I mean, you look at the options they have, and it's not it's not like there's a nine no, Ricky Hendersons, you know? Right, and that's the thing, is I think the order would be better served, or at least would be a more ideal lineup, if they simply bumped Escobar out of the leadoff spot and moved everybody else up one. So you would start with Gordon, then Kane, and move on down the rest of the lineup, but... They don't want to do that because Ned Yost loves consistency and he loves the fact that certain things worked. I mean, uh, what was it? Escobar had 4, 6, 8, 11, 12, 14, 15, 17 hits in the last 10 games that he played last year. Most of those out of the leadoff spot, so... It worked for a short amount of time, and Ned Yost, more than anything, is willing to go with it until it doesn't work anymore. Yeah, I like the fans who think that this will this will be a good idea because it worked at the end of last year, and it's like, well, if Escobar hits three seventy five like he did at the end of last year, I mean, yeah, that, right. he'll be a great on base percentage guy. But uh, yeah. I don't know if I expect that over a full season. No, uh, Sean Dugan, Josh Dugan had a piece last week about how other than Esky leading off. This lineup's not too bad. Uh, do you do you agree with that notion? And then and how do you how would you like to see the lineup look? It's it's still your classic kind of weak hitting Royals offense we've come accustomed to for the past I don't know five six years. But um, yeah, I, I like Josh's piece. I think he's pretty spot on everything. <clears throat> Escobar, the Royals are playing right now, and Escobar just fly it out. So that's probably. A bad sign just to begin with there, but him leading small up, sample size, Sean. It's I just true. one fly. It's just one fly out. True, and Gordon's best career split is leading is batting second. So I mean, maybe Ned's got something. He, he might have hopped on Fangraphs for ten minutes, or maybe his nephew or son taught him how to use the internet. Um, but any, but essentially, yeah, I, I do like the the, the lineup as, as much as we could hope, other than Escobar there. I mean, it's not like you know. Ned Yost is Da Vinci, and he's got this palette to work with. I mean, he he has what he has to work with, and it's kind of hard to you know make Picasso out of Play-Doh, I guess. So, yeah, I, I do like that he's hitting Gordon second. I think I think the am I correct in saying the book on lineups suggests having your best hitter in the number two slot? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess the one I'm concerned about, other than Escobar, is Kane hitting third. Not that I don't love Lorenzo Kane. Mm-hmm. But he his year last year looked pretty fueled by uh, batting average on balls in play, and I'm I'm just a little wary that he might regress quite a bit. And having him in the three hole, you know, could be could be dangerous. But I I look at the rest of the guys, and I'm like, who else is is going to hit in that three spot? Though I mean, there's not there's not a lot of good options there. 
You don't think that a 380 BABIP is sustainable for Lorenzo Cain? I, I, yeah, I don't. I don't think it's going to happen. And it's weird because he used. To, <laughs> I think in the minors he had a pretty decent walk rate. I think even his rookie year maybe he did, but it's just gone down and down every year. And I don't know if that's you know the Royals effect on him or what. But it's, yeah. some, it's he's become a less patient hitter. I mean, he's still, you know, a very viable player, but at the plate, I worry about him a little bit. Yeah, unless he can hit nothing but line drives all year, then his bad, but prob- yeah, 380's probably not going to happen there. Yeah. Right. Uh, Which, oh, go ahead. Well, and I, I think the other thing that we forget about in the conversation about the Royals lineup, though, is that outside of Alcides Escobar, you go to Gordon and Kane and Hosmer, and then you kind of have these other two question marks in both Morales and Rios that are sitting there. And Rios, you kind of know what you're going to expect, but you don't know if he's going to hit for power like he did um, before last year. Uh, you don't know if Morales is what he showed last season as opposed to what he did two years ago. And if last year was just kind of a, a blip because he spent so much time not playing um, because of the collective bargaining agreement and all the rules on that. So it's it's really more so than just Escobar leading off. The lineup as, as a whole has a lot of question marks in it, but I think as, in terms of the way that it's constructed, it's probably the best that they can do. Yeah, I think you're right about question marks. And I think I even add to that Eric Hosmer. I mean, you have your first half Eric Hosmer, who doesn't have for any kind of power, and then you have your second half Eric Hosmer, who's the guy that, you know, just is just ripping it off game-winning home runs in the postseason. I mean, he's a huge question mark. Is he is he going to put it together for a full season, or is he going to struggle out of the gate like he seems to do every year? And then I think Salvador Perez is still kind of a question mark because, mm-hmm. um, you know, he wore down so much last year. You know, did he really wear down, or is he, or is it just uh, pitchers are figuring out that they don't have to throw him strikes and he's going to get himself out? And at least he's hitting seventh to start the year. I was worried that they might have him higher in the lineup just because they seem to like him so much as a hitter, but. Um, at least he'll have to kind of reestablish himself a little bit. Is there an update on what Ned's thinking for behind the plate uh, gains there for for Sal? I think they're just kind of playing it by ear. I don't. I okay. they had a they had an idea at first. They were just going to tie him to uh, tie Eric Kratz to one of the pitchers in the rotation and make him the personal catcher. Oh, okay. But then they ditched that plan. I think they just didn't like the the inflexibility of that. So now I guess they're just going to try to rest him as. As as is on an ad hoc basis, I don't I don't have you have you guys heard anything or uh uh-huh, that's fine. No, I I I know that this spring that Eric Kratz has been working with was it Jeremy Guthrie I believe okay um or it may have been Jason Vargas I forget which one but yeah they don't they don't have like a set in stone off day for him that every fifth day is going to not be Sal Perez which is fine I guess but at the same time I mean. He really can't. I mean, he had what two walks after the All Star break last year? <laughs> like it was just it was an absurd, an absurdly low figure. And and then his early season on base was kind of inflated by the fact that he was hitting in front of Mike Mustakis for the first you know six weeks of the of the year. He got walked something like thirteen times in the first fifteen games. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there is still a legitimate concern in terms of Sal Perez being able to make contact, lay off pitches, and, you know, actually draw a walk. And then, obviously, the rest issue is also out there, too. Well, it sounds like they're at least cognizant of the problem. I'm just, it's just a matter of getting Ned to give the guy a day off once in a while. I, yeah. 
It's, you know, it's not that hard, man. Just don't put his name in the lineup. <laughs> right. And, you know, he's only, what is he, 24, 20, yeah. Yeah, 20, 25 now? It's like, man, he's already been, shoot, he's got 400 games by age 24. With a history of uh, knee problems already. Yeah, yeah. right, right. Jeez. Uh, well, aside from the lineup, I guess one of the other uh, roster battles the Royals had was uh, the back, the, the very end of the bullpen. It sounds like Franklin mm-hmm. Morales has kind of claimed one of the spots. Uh, they said Luke Hochaver is going to start the season on the DL. He's not going to be ready until May. Um, so the last ro- the last bullpen spot will come down to Lewis Coleman, who was on the team last year, uh, Brian Flynn, who's a left-hander they picked up from the Marlins for Aaron Crow, and then Ryan Madsen, who's a, a long-time vet uh, in the majors, a former closer for the Phillies, but he hasn't pitched in a couple of years because of injury. Uh, Sean, is there is there a guy you like out of that mix, or does it not maybe matter too much? <laughs> <laughs> eh. Uh, yeah, I I like Flynn. I guess out of the out of the three, I think Madsen's opt out date. I, I I think it's. I thought it was coming soon. Yeah, I, I think I, it's a, it's a, more like a gentleman. I don't think it's a it's a contract. It's like a gentleman's agreement or something like that. Yeah, I don't know, maybe that, maybe it's right. a contractual agreement. I don't know. Um, and I don't think it's going to be him. But I think it's down between Coleman and Flynn. And I mean, I kind of like Flynn out of the two. I guess they're both not overwhelming options, and Flynn is the lefty, so. I, I kind of like that option, I guess. If if you're not going to have Mads in there, um, and you don't have Finnegan, I, I think Flynn is probably the the smarter choice. And no Tim Collins either. So yeah, I think Flynn is probably the winner in my opinion. What about you, Josh? Which is there a pitcher you prefer? I like the idea of Brian Flynn, mostly yeah. because he is left-handed, and they really don't have an option, especially without Tim Collins. But uh, well, they'll, they'll Franklin Morales if he makes the team. Well, right, that's true. Um, uh, but. I mean, Flynn's career ERA is over eight and a half. Um, granted, it's only twenty-five innings, but it's been pretty rough for him. Uh, I'm not sure that it'll particularly matter because I think whoever makes that slot is gonna get bumped once Hochaver comes off of the DL. The team is being overly cautious with him in terms of getting him back into playing shape. So. I think you roll with Flynn for now just to have another left-handed option, but, I mean, Lewis, Lewis Coleman didn't have a great year last year, but he's had good seasons and he's had good stretches, uh, especially when he's used as kind of a, a righty-only option. Um, but I think they're probably going to roll with Flynn just because of the handedness issue, but I'm not sure that it will make a particularly huge impact before Luke Hochever gets back because... Of all the other options that they have available, yeah. My with all the op- oh, go ahead, Jeff, Sean. Oh, my vote is still for Yandel Gustave. So if we can get him back, I would love him. <laughs> yeah, with all the off days in April, I don't, I, I don't think you use your seventh reliever that often. Which, yeah, you might want to hang on to a guy like Gustave just for. Oh well. Uh, well, if you, know, you always have to, leave, you always have to give the Royals credit for making you wish that they had hung on to. What is essentially a league average player because this wouldn't be a question if Francis Lee Bueno was still around. Yes. Uh, <laughs> no Bueno. And for the last two years, I've spent a lot of time wondering why he's on the 25 man roster in general. And now for the first time, he's not. And I kind of want him to be there. <laughs> he's with the Cubs now, isn't he? Did you, did you yeah, follow where so. he went? I don't know if he's going to make the team or not. But uh, yeah. Uh, the other out, the other position uh, that's kind of having they're having a roster battle over is the outfield. Again, it's probably not going to be a position that gets used much in April, but it's down to uh, 
Whit Merrifield, Paulo Orlando, and uh, Moise Sierra, who's uh, Moise Sierra they claimed off waivers from Chicago this past offseason. Merrifield and Orlando, both guys have been in the system for a while. Uh, again, Sean, is there, is there a guy you think that, that you know we should favor over the others? No, um, I don't like Whit Merrifield really at all. So out of, out of Orlando and Merrifield, I think Orlando, I mean, not like Orlando offers much. He's a pretty high contact guy and, you know, doesn't have concerning strikeout rates and not a lot of power, but um, yeah, I mean, now another one of those where it's like, all right, fifth outfielder, someone who just isn't god awful, and you know, Merrifield and Orlando probably aren't going to be good, but I don't think they're going to be, you know, really dragging the Royals down. If they're the reason the Royals are bad, you know, don't win, you know, eighty-five games, then then there's a problem there. So. Well, I think one reason they, they're looking at carrying another outfielder is because of the health of Alex Gordon, just to kind of hedge their bets. Sure. But, uh, I, I mean, I kind of agree with Sean. I don't think the options there are really that great, Josh. Do you right. think maybe that we could see a trade, or maybe they pick someone off waivers to kind of add some depth? Because, I mean, they have a lot of outfielders for Omaha as depth, but I don't know if there are a lot of great options if they right. use that for a big injury. And I, and I think this is another issue where uh, the conversation is happening because – of injury status to other players. Uh, if Jorge Bonifacio was healthy, he would probably be in the conversation for that fifth outfield spot if they wanted. If I mean, they're obviously going to go that route for now. But of the options available, I think Paulo Orlando is probably the best case. I also am not very high on Whit Merrifield. Um, he has sort of a Johnny Giovatella outfield feel to him. Which is to say that he... You mean the starting second baseman for the Angels? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but just in the sense that he hits a lot in AAA, and he doesn't really seem to be able to perform in the higher situations. Uh, I know that the Kansas City Star did a big article on him recently, um, and they talked him up pretty heavily, but... Uh, He's got an interesting story, but I just don't know if he has the the kind of profile for it. And then, of course, none of this would be a conversation if Bubba Starling had decided to do anything in the past, you know, three years. So that was my thinking. Yes, I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, right. Starling could hit it all. It seems like he'd be. I mean, he'd right, be in the mix. that's the thing is because I think Starling is a better defender than oh. any of the options that they're considering. Uh, he just can't hit, and that's. I mean, not even. Not even Tony Pena Jr. Like he might be able to beat out Tony Pena Jr. in the, in that situation, but it's you might get kind of Alcides Escobar of 2013 levels of offense out of him right now. Just his swing is just so uh, jittery and and kind of messed up right now. But I think Paulo Orlando is probably the best option in terms of versatility. Um, I think he has the best arm out of the options that are available, and so. Um, it also would be good for him to get a shot because, I mean, you know, he's been – he's approaching – he's in his age 29 season and he's never been in the major leagues. So I, I think he probably deserves a shot at least. Yeah, he's kind of a cool story too. He's from Brazil, which isn't really known as a baseball country. And, uh, you know, he's kind of a late bloomer. And I think the Royals have kind of said that a lot. He's a late bloomer. And I you know, I don't think there's any – I don't think they're any, under any illusions he'll be like a really good player all of a sudden. But uh, – the Royals seem to be lousy with late bloomers too. Yeah. And you know, if they still, if the Royals still had uh, Irving Falou, this also would be an issue. <laughs> Irving maybe that's, Falou. Maybe that's, that's too the past. 
Yeah, I saw Elliot Johnson. I was like, he got traded today. Too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, we'll know the uh, full roster. I guess they said they're going to wait till Sunday, the, the deadline, to announce the roster. So I guess we'll have to wait till then. But uh, the day, the next day, we'll have Royals baseball. We'll have the Royals hoisting a American League champions flag on Monday against the Chicago White Sox. So uh, we had our predictions thread this week where we all laid down the line and gave our predictions for the year and that are almost certainly going to be wrong because the Royals just have a way of confounding us with their second half uh, uh, streaks. Uh, but we kind of, we put out our, our predictions and I think all of us, I think we're kind of a similar mind. I think we all put the Royals down for 78 to 84 wins with the exception of Matthew Lamar who had them for 88, which is not too far off. Uh, Sean, we'll start with you. You have them as 83 and 79. I think it's, I guess talk a little bit about why you think they'll be just a little bit over 500. And how do you see that shaking out for them? Well, first, I'm glad that my math adds up to 162 games. I was really worried that I went out <laughs> wrong, but I, it sounds like I got it right. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I didn't think they were that great last year of a team as far as preseason. And, you know, they had a lot of that um, luck with sequencing and kind of, you know, Lorenzo Cain being a monster better than he was projected to be. So, and then they lose Shields. Probably expect some regression from some guys. So, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of just the same team coming back that you hope they can be good again. If not, then uh, you're you're looking to probably yeah mid 80s wins or so. Josh, you had them slightly better, 84 and 78, which was actually a pretty popular choice. Kevin Ruprecht and uh, Josh Dugan also picked them for 84 wins. Uh, yeah, those guys named Josh seem to think alike for some reason. Yeah, you guys are kindred spirits, I guess. So how how do you kind of see this season shaping up the Royals and getting to 84 wins? Well, I think the Royals are about as good as they were last year. Probably maybe a win or two in two true talent level worse than they were last year. I think the big deal, though, and why I bump them down because last year I actually predicted them to win 90 games and they won 89 so and they call us you know negative on the side you actually you actually predicted them to have a good year last year I I did I I did not expect them to actually make the, the postseason because you needed 92 wins in 2013 to get the wild card spot so I thought they were going to be very competitive I I wasn't predicting them to make the playoffs let alone the the World Series but I did have them at at 90 wins last year and nice. Yeah, and this year I put them at 84, most, and I think it's mostly because the division overall is better in a lot of different ways, and it's not just Detroit alone that got better. Um, they actually, I think, got a little worse, but uh, Chicago and Cleveland really improved this offseason, specifically Chicago, who I actually think is going to win the AL Central. It was kind of my... Big surprise kind of pick that happened. Um, but I found out that Drennan uh, agreed with me, so I got that going for me. Which yeah, I think, is I think the White Sox would be kind of a, a, not a trendy pick, but I think, I think there would be a, a few people to pick them just because of their... Right. Yeah, they did were so aggressive in the last in the offseason. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, I really think that the, the Royals drop in, in win-loss from last year, one, uh, is just pure regression to their true talent, but two... Uh, I really think it has more to do with the fact that the White Sox and the Indians are going to be better. The Twins might be better. I'm actually not sure. The That whole organization right now is kind of confusing me with some of the, the moves that they've been making. Um, and Detroit, I think, is going to be slightly worse, but still probably on par with Kansas City, but uh, maybe even slightly better, depending on how 
their offense shakes out and whether or not the moves that they made in their bullpen actually work. Because last year they uh, their bullpen was a train wreck, which was kind of fun to watch from the other side of things. Yeah, it's fun to watch when you have Kelvin Herrera, Wade Davis, and uh, Greg Holland on your side. <laughs> yeah, when you see Phil Coke and Joe Chamberlain and Joe Nathan and Joaquin Soria, who did who did great in Texas and then was terrible in Detroit, so that was always fun. Um, but yeah, so I really think that eighty four wins is probably about where they'll end up, and as much to do with their true talent, but also just because the division is better. And one, and the, for one, and for two, they can't really sneak up on anybody anymore, and that's just the way it goes when you you know play in the World Series. Yeah, I I just don't see it for them this year, and and I I know all the a lot of the fans will probably call me a hater or negative, but I, I am at seventy eight and eighty four. I just yeah, I I expect that from from Drennan. Yeah, and I and I'm usually I think I'm kind of usually the one of the more optimistic people on the site, and I think I you know like to see the upside, but I, I mean I'm kind of with you uh, that I think the division got a lot tougher, mm-hmm. and and I think the Royals took advantage of a weak American League last year. Which which is great. I mean, they should. You should seize your opportunities. But they, ha- I think, they had to improve just to get back to the win level they were at last year. And they, I don't think they did. I think they they got worse replacing Volquez with Shields. I think Morales is probably a wash over what Butler did last year. Maybe a little light upgrade. And then I think Rios is probably a downgrade over Aoki, even as Aoki being kind of disappointing last year. Um, and I, yeah, I think you're right. Some guys are, are going to re- regress, no doubt about it. I think Duffy could regress. Kane, as I said, could regress a little bit. Uh, they could have injuries. And, and credit Dayton Moore for adding some depth to the pitching staff this year. But if they suffer an injury to that starting lineup, I mean, there's just not a lot in Omaha. I feel very confident about playing for a couple weeks at a time. Yeah, they did add, you know, Ryan Madsen and Chris Young and guys like that. But I don't, I don't necessarily want them pitching, you know, six to eight starts in the early part of the season. Chris Medlin getting healthy would be great. Um, they've got some some options, which is, you know, better than four or five years ago. But at the same time, I think you're right. Um, I do, and and like I said, I do, I do think that they have kind of softened up a bit in certain areas. But I think on, on the whole, they're they're right about where they were last year. Um, and it really, but you're, it is definitely more volatile. Yeah, I think there's a lot of there's, there's a lot of variance we could see with them. I and mean, if, if all the moves pan out, then they could be right back in the postseason. Right. And if if these guys, if the free agents are a disaster and they have some injuries, well, it could be a really really long season. Uh, we we, we did all pick Matt Lamar picking the Cubs to win the NL Central. Yeah, we'll get to, we'll get to that in a second. I just, okay. I, just want, uh, I I want to chime in on that one. Okay. Um, we all picked the Royals to finish third. Uh, Sean, did you you pick the Tigers and Indians to kind of battle it out for the Central? How do you see how do you see the the Central shaping up? Yeah, um, I want to I I want to start with the White Sox. That man, they won seventy three games last year. There's not there's just it's just not impossible. But there's no way this team picked up fifteen sixteen wins to to move them into the the thick of the race. I think it's just a bad pick if uh, picking the White Sox to win it. Um, I don't think they're that much better than the Twins, to be honest. But uh, with the the Twins the, don't have Jose Abreu, Chris Sale, or Jose Quintana. So agreed. But 
They I, think, have, I think the Twins are going to be pretty loud. I think they could be the worst team in the American League this year. I think they're they're pretty bad. Let me just give you this. So Fangraphs has the Twins at 74 wins, the White Sox at 78. So any variance either way, you could be looking at a pretty even team. But anyways, regardless. So let's let's talk Royals. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, I think Indians. Indians second. I really like the Indians. I wish Danny Salazar was pitching, was actually starting. I'm a big Salazar fan. It blows my mind as a Royals fan to see an above average or at least an average projected starting pitcher start the year in the minors. I don't get that. Um, and then the Tigers, I think, are just going to naturally regress with everybody being older. You know, Miguel Cabrera no longer playing third, being full-time first, and he's older. Now Martinez is injured. You know, uh, they've lost Scherzer. They get a little bit of that back with Price for a full year. But, yeah, um, and, and just them going down, Indians kind of taking a step forward, I think, and then. Um, the Royals still there that mid '80s range, so with third place finish. That's yeah. I, I actually have the Indians kind of walking away with this division. Uh, I think they could win 94, 95 games. I know they're a terrible defensive team. Uh, that could upgrade a little bit when they get Francisco Lindor at shortstop and they call him up. Uh, but I think they've got they've got a bunch of young hitters in their prime uh, who, who should be pretty good with Michael Brantley and Carlos Santana and uh, Jason Kipnis. I think will bounce back. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got that pitching staff, you know, even without Salazar, they've got a lot of guys that can miss bats. Right. Um, I think they led the, they led the American league in strikeouts from starting pitchers last year. And I think Salazar, he won't be, I don't think he'll be down long. Um, I think Cody Allen's like one of the better young, relievers, yeah. probably one of the most underrated closers in the game right now. Right. And, uh, you know, they seem like a pretty, they're a well-run team. Good manager, Terry Francona. I could see them, you know, making a shrewd pickup midseason. I, I think they'll, they're the class of the division. I see why people are picking them. Um, Tigers, yeah, I think they're kind of an old aging team. I could see them. They could have one more big spurt in them and, and have a great year, but I kind of see them on the decline. I think, I think there's a good, there's a chance they could finish as low as fourth if they just, you know, if everything goes to pot in a hurry. Uh, but all, all of them, you know, probably an 85, 86 win team in the wild card hunt. Yeah, the White Sox are hard. You know, I've heard that argument before that you can't. It's hard to add 15 wins in a season like that, but that's not always the way you know baseball yeah, works. Sure. You know, sometimes you just jump, you make a 30 win jump, <laughs> just because guys get better, the sure. internal guys get better, you make additions. I mean, it doesn't happen very often, but uh, but yeah, I do agree that it's a it's a lot to to make up, and they haven't, they don't have a lot of depth. I mean, they the guys they added are good players, but you know, if they have an injury or two. They're not going to be in good shape. The bottom of that lineup is still pretty suspect. Their bullpen's yeah. pretty suspect. I can I can see them contending, uh, but if I had to you know put a number on it, I'd probably put them at 76, 77 wins, right right behind the Royals. I think they've got they've got really no catcher, no second baseman, no third baseman. Really. I like the, I like that Micah Johnson kid. Not that he's the guy you should hang your hat on, but I like him quite a bit. But yeah, I, yeah, a lot of questions this week. Yeah, I I just don't see it. I don't know. So. Yeah, and I think most of my thinking is is just that I think that of of teams in the central, I think that Chicago has certain pieces set up in in just the right way, and I think a lot of it also again comes down to the fact that I am personally just more down on the people that they're playing more so than than I am necessarily the strength of their team because I don't I don't think I would have selected the White Sox to win any other division in baseball. But the sure. AL Central is, is, although I think it's more competitive this year, uh, I still think it's it's kind of in like the second or third tier of, of division, and in terms of 
you know, talent and, and, and things like that. And, uh, I don't know. I just think, I just think there's something about, uh, Chicago this year that I, I kind of can, can get around. And I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, Chris Sale and Jose Quintana and, and picking up Jeff Zamarjo was, was a big deal for them, I think. And, um, I have more faith in guys like Adam Eaton and Melky Cabrera, uh, performing and staying healthy than I do JD Martinez, um, repeating that ridiculous season that he had last year. Mm-hmm. Um, Jonas Cespedes, I think, has been caught up to by the league. I mean, his numbers have just declined and declined, yeah. um, over the last, uh, you know, two or three years. Um, I don't trust the health of Victor Martinez or Miguel Cabrera. Um, and Cleveland, I think, has, along with what you guys are talking about in terms of Danny Salazar, is I think that they've got um, kind of an identity issue, but mostly I think it's just personnel-wise. I don't think they know where all of their pieces are going to fit in specifically. And also, and this is because I just looked it up, um, it turns out that the Tigers do still have Joba Chamberlain and Joe Nathan and Joaquin Soria in their bullpen. <laughs> so, okay, that's going to be a problem for them. Yeah, I think the Whites have to be kind of a, a surprise team to make it, but, you know, we've seen you know, the Royals were a surprise team last year, and it seems like there's always kind of one team that pops up like that. Um, well, I guess let's turn, we'll turn to our, our division and postseason uh, picks uh, well, you want to start with uh, Matthew Lamar's pick, Sean, of the Cubs winning the Central? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, sh- sure, I guess. I, I, mean, I think the way that I feel about it is the way that Sean feels about me picking the White Sox to pick yeah. the Central. <laughs> well, you know, I get, I, yeah, I think I can agree with that. The the plateau to get the wild card, it's about the same move that the the White Sox have to move to get to the top. There, I don't. I mean, do the Cardinals not exist in? In Lamar's he, world, he has him winning the wild card. The first no, wild card spot. Uh, sure, I don't know. And the Pirates, do they also still? They're not in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Sorry, Matt, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, he's, he's he's all in on the young prospects. Which, yeah, uh, prospects. I don't think they don't fail, do they? No, never. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, let's go over. Uh, let's start with the American League, I guess. Uh, we, we talk a little about the Cubs, but let's go to the American League. Uh, Josh, you had the Blue Jays, which uh, Tyler Drennan, you said, also had the Blue Jays. Uh-huh. Most of the rest of us picked the Red Sox. Josh, you can have the Orioles repeating as uh, East champions. Uh, right. So why did you go with the Blue Jays this year? They were kind of the sexy pick, uh, was it last year or two years ago? But well, they've, they've been the sexy pick for probably the last two years. Yeah. Um, one, they have Liam Hendricks on the roster now. So. <laughs> I don't know if you knew this, but Liam Hendricks was on the roster last year, and the Royals went to the World Series. So He has experience. He'll bring that experience right. to Toronto. Right, exactly. I mean, he wasn't on the roster in the World Series. <laughs> I think but, he was in the dugout, though. Yeah, along with uh, Scott Downs. <laughs> this is one of the guys I remember from all of the postseason videos. It's like There's just Scott Downs just hanging out and spinning towels. <laughs> um, no, I I like I like the nucleus of their offense between uh, Edwin Encarnacion and Jose Bautista, and also um, guys like I mean they added Josh Donaldson, which I think is going to be huge for them. Um, and Jose Reyes, for all the flack that he gets, I think can still be a decent, productive hitter. Um, and it's always good when they have multiple former Royals, as they also have Danny Valencia on their roster. So. Um, and I think their their pitching staff is is going to improve as the year goes on. I really like Marcus Stroman. 
Um, I know that he struggled at times last year. He's out for the year. Oh, that's yeah, right. That's, that's right. right. Knee injuries out for the year. That's right. I forgot you about that. You still like him. I mean, yeah, I, I, love I, him. I, I love still him. really like Marcus Stroman. <laughs> yeah. I, I, he's not yeah. dead. Yeah. No, he's not. But he's just gone. So yeah. that'll hurt. But um, I think mo- and it mostly has to do with their offense, really. I mean, the pitching staff, I think, if it, as long as it's good enough, I think their offense can carry them. Um, and I kind of just feel like the AL East is, is kind of a big question mark last year. I mean, Baltimore lost uh, Nelson Cruz, which was a big deal for their offense. Uh, the Red Sox are the Red Sox, and they're kind of always going to be good for the most part, you know, except for every, you know, third or fourth season where it seems like they just magically tank for some reason. I think mostly it's because they just hated Bobby Valentine that one year that they, you know, All because lost, of fried chicken and lost like 90 games or whatever it was. But um, um, And the Yankees, obviously, I mean, the whole Alex Rodriguez situation in general, but also just their team. I mean, it's... It's an old team. Yeah, it's... it's no Jeter. They have no Jeter to lead them anymore. <laughs> what will they do? And with the Yankees... Every single year, everybody goes, this is going to be the year they're terrible. Man, they're bad this year. Right. They finished in second place in the division. I mean, it's just somehow their team. And, you know, I hate the Yankees as much as everybody, but right. they're just a team that's still, I don't know, they just, they can they're, still win. And it they helps. always get like a random good performance from like a Jason Nix or Aaron Small. <laughs> right. Like, where did this guy come from? Why yeah. is he good all of a sudden? I have a great story about Buster Olney actually blocking me on Twitter because of a some responses that I made about an article he wrote about the Yankees uh, two years ago when they were, you know, giving considerable playing time, I think it was to Jason Bay or Lyle Overbay or somebody like that. And the whole article was about how Brian Cashman was a genius because the Yankees were in second place with all of these scrubs. And it was like, no, like, he he traded for Vernon Wells. Like, that's a terrible move. Yes. <laughs> what you're doing. But um, I think... The Yankees, they do seem to just kind of find a way. I mean, Dylan Batances is oh. just remarkable. Um, He's amazing. Um, and if Tanaka – is Tanaka healthy? I think he's going to Cy Young, so I hope he's healthy. He's been thinking. I mean, he's been pitching, yeah. Okay, because I know he had the, the thing going on it's last year. start opening day for him. Yeah, but, uh, you know, Sabathia's old and overweight, which is an issue for everybody, but specifically for pitchers. Um, especially ones who, like him, who have kind of more or less made a career on difference in velocity between fastball and slider and working in change-ups every, every now and then, and, and now they're getting closer together. I mean, Pineda's good, but, you know, he's had injury concerns. And after that, I mean, the, their bullpen is pretty solid, but they lost uh, David Robertson, wasn't it? Yep. He's out of yes. Chicago now. Right. So, yeah, Chicago, because they're going to win the AL. <laughs> um, and, you know, I don't know what they're going to get out of Brian McCann or Alex Rodriguez or Mark Teixeira. So I, I've seen projections on the Yankees from anywhere from 72 wins to 87 wins. Yeah, it's just hard when you have so many old guys like that. Like, yeah. how yeah. healthy are they? It just entirely hinges on how healthy – and how much you know left in the tank do, do those guys have? And right. yeah, I don't. I don't, well, I don't say is, I. I think Toronto is probably the most 
uh, solid team in terms of ceiling and floor potential. Because I, I think there's a lot of volatility with both the Yankees and Red Sox, and I think Baltimore got worse um, either by subtraction uh, or by a couple of additions. But just overall, I think Toronto is probably the most capable team, and obviously Tampa, which we haven't even touched on, just completely you know blew up their roster. So. And they and they've lost I think three starting pitchers already, so I think that's that's why I think a lot of people are down on Tampa Bay. Although you know they always seem to find a way to be pretty competitive, so I guess we probably shouldn't write them off yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's move to the West real quick. Uh, everyone picked either the Mariners or Angels uh, to win the division, and then everyone picked them to make the playoffs at least. Uh, is it is it I guess Sean? Do you think it's pretty much a two man two team race between those yeah, two? Yeah, probably. I mean, I don't know. It's <sighs> Angels are. One of my favorite teams. I really like the Angels as far as for next year there, um, and the Mariners just seem like they're. I think they're the. I think they had the fourth highest projection out of the whole, um, the whole MLB. So uh, I think it's really down to them. Um, maybe Oakland does the Billy Bean magic and can. Yeah, they just always seem to find a way to just right. get some. Yeah, pull Bean magic out of the hat or somehow. Right. Maybe they could pick up five wins. You know, I don't know. Sonny Gray gets real good, or um, shoot, I I don't know. Yeah, but you look yeah. at their lineup, their lineup's just yeah, decimated. That's brutal. Yeah, even uh, yeah, even with Zobris, that's still a tough lineup. Uh, Josh, uh, you picked the Mariners to win it. They've they've kind of been a pretty uh, a popular pick to not only win the division but, but possibly the league as well. I mean, it, the Royals battled the Mariners for the wild card last year. What what do you think that it is that puts them over the top this year? Um, I think mostly it's young players coming up between Paxson and Walker and guys like that and adding to what they have there already. Um, I think Iwakuma, because he pitches in the shadow of Felix Hernandez, is one of the most underrated pitchers in the league. Um, so I, I think it's all of those elements working together. But um, mostly I think it's just because, again, and this is obvious, for some reason it's a common theme, but I really think it's just because Texas is continuing to deal with all of these injury concerns that keep cropping up everywhere. And Oakland uh, also kind of detonated their roster last year, from last year. Um, and But, you know, Billy Bean. Uh, and then Houston, I think, can be decent, but I don't know if they're going to be um, competitive to the, to the level of Los Angeles and Seattle. Yeah, it's really remarkable remarkable to me about Texas. I mean, they was just like three or four years ago they had yeah. the most loaded farm system. Uh-huh. They had a, a solid. I mean, they're in the they're in the World Series, uh, and just to go from that to, I mean, I, I I was talking to Josh Dugan on online today. I was like, oh, I think the Rangers could be a decent bounce back candidate. And then I looked over at Fangrass at their depth chart. I mean, they've got like Ryan Rua starting, <laughs> Robinson Torinos as their starting catcher. When their bullpen's a bunch of guys that you know I've never heard of or don't seem like they should be in the big leagues. I don't know. You know, I guess it just shows that you know having a great farm system is not a, necessarily a, a recipe for success all the time. I and mean, you got to yeah. still go out and get the players and stay healthy. I guess. Yeah, it was injury. Yeah, and then injuries killed yeah. too. Yeah. 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 I mean, Robinson Torinos was their third most valuable position player. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. Good luck with that. <laughs> right. Sounds like the White Sox. Right. I mean, they gave they gave legitimate playing time to Kevin Kuzminoff. 
<laughs> yeah. They had J.P. Aaron Sevilla starting at first base last year. So. Oh, jeez. But uh, they, they just can't get off the ground with, you know, between – I mean, Leonis Martin had a good season last year. Yeah. Um, but Elvis Andrews has never kind of been what they expected him to be. Yeah, I don't think he ever will. But they can't get off the ground with guys like Rugnet Odor and and others that just and obviously Shinsu Chu was not what they paid him to be last season. Um, and they found out very quickly that he really can't be you know an outfielder. So I don't know. That's I mean Texas just has. So many issues right now, but let's uh, let's turn to the National League a little bit. I think it seems like uh, we had a lot more consensus when it came to the National League. Uh, everyone picked the Nationals to win the East, and everyone picked the Dodgers to win the West. Uh, Sean, do you see do you see any races in those two divisions, or is it pretty much going to be a walk a walk the between those two teams? The Nationals are so freaking good; it's not even funny. I yeah, it's it's going to be a cakewalk for the Nationals. Um, there's just nobody in that division that's. I mean, even worth bringing up. Really, the bottom of that division is so bad. That'll just oh god. The Phillies and the Braves—they're gonna win. They're gonna pad their win total so much on those teams. Right. It, yeah. It's, um, and um, out in the out in the West, uh, Dodgers are again project to be pretty dang good. Um, I'm trying to think of who could maybe. Yeah, I mean. I don't know who who do you guys think is the next best team out there? The Padres, I, I guess. Think everyone, yeah, everyone thinks, seems to think the Padres or the, a couple of people. A uh, couple of people pick the Giants to win the Wild. Oh, Cup. sure, yeah. Again, and you know, yeah. a couple of people pick the Giants and the Padres. Actually, Sean did pick the Giants and the Padres. Yeah. So, so loaded, well, in that division, the bottom of that division is pretty bad too. I think with Colorado just kind of churning the roster in Arizona. I don't know what they're doing in Arizona. Wait, so I always, I think the Padres to win the division. No, no, no. Uh, you had the no, you, Giants. You the Dodgers Dodgers win, and then you pick the Giants and Padres for the wild cards. Oh my God! Well, I'm, I'm an idiot. I didn't realize I did that. Well, okay, <laughs> never mind. I mean, it could happen. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize. I. I mean, I mean, part of it is obviously. I mean, the NL at least is so bad, but yeah, uh, yeah, you're probably going to get two teams out of the NL Central, so. I didn't think the Central. That's my I, now. I can now. I'm seeing my reasoning. The Central. I don't think Central's that good, and the you know, East isn't that good. So it's kind of like the West is the better of the three divisions. So maybe I think I also picked uh, all three or the two wild cards. No, never mind. So yeah, I, I okay. Oh, I'm don't back feel bad because I also picked the Padres and Giants. So. Okay, I'm back behind my decision. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think the Pirates are probably the only other team that kind of is in that mix with with them. Um, Obviously, the Nationals, Cardinals, and Dodgers, I think everybody has a consensus on them making the playoffs. And then in that next tier down from them is the Padres, Giants, and Pirates, and the Marlins are kind of mixed in there, but they've got, you know, some concerns and things like yeah. that. And Max, yeah. why don't you pick the Marlins? I, so. I, you know, I just kind of had them as kind of a sleeper. You know, I kind of like what they're doing. they got some good young players. Uh, is Jose Fernandez, he's, is he out for a while? or? Is uh, it, July, I think, is what Okay, yeah, that puts a damper on their plans a little bit. Uh, but, you know, they, they're another one of those franchises that just seems to find guys off the street and get a pretty good performance out of them at, at you know, a bargain basement prices. Like Casey McGee last year, like, they got him for, like, a million dollars. You know, he wasn't great, but he was better than going out and spending $8 million on, sure. you know, an Alex or a Kendrick Rouse-type player, you know. So I think they're a pretty smart organization. They got some good young players. You know, they locked down Christian Yellick and uh, – 
John Carlos Stanton. Uh, you know, I don't know if I see the, the National League. It, the the cream is so you know high, and the rest of the league is just kind of blah. I don't know if it's going to necessarily take a great team to make the postseason as a wild card in the National League. Uh, but you know, I think it'll be yeah. that, probably between them and the Pirates. I think for the last while. Well, and I think I think you're looking at at probably one of the wild card teams from the NL being in that kind of 85 ish win range, 85, 86. Because I think the 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 top teams in 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 the National League are so good between the Nationals and the Dodgers and you know the Cardinals um, that I think they they will more or less feast on on kind of the mid level teams. Um, you know, you got your Cincinnati Reds uh, and your Atlanta Braves, and on down the list. That I think the the top tier is going to be pretty high, and then there's going to be kind of this huge squash of teams in the middle in terms of final record. But um, like Sean was saying, though, I think the Washington Nationals are just absolutely loaded from top to bottom. Um, I've kind of been on their bandwagon since 2013. Yeah. Um, and it hasn't really paid off yet, so I'm hoping that this year, you know, will be finally the season. Yeah, I think I've picked them um, up to win the, the National League pennant for a couple times now. <laughs> they yeah. just haven't uh, been able to do it. Yeah. And tying it all together, there was a great BP article the other day that uh, actually compared the current Nationals to the Rangers uh, as far as yeah, the so that. yeah. So that's uh, yeah. Well, I guess we'll see. Let's look at our World Series picks real quick. Uh, since we're all talking about the Nationals, uh, Josh, you and I—actually, all three of us picked the Nationals to win. Sean, you picked them over the Red Sox. I picked them over the Indians. Josh, you picked them over the Blue Jays. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, Sean, I talk a little bit of why the Nationals just look so so awesome this year. It's man, it's like it, it's almost they're not enough that they're stacked every position, but. They've got guys, the bar is so high at some of their positions as far as just the floor. I mean, just down the list, uh, Ramos above average, Zimmerman above average, Desmond above average, Rendon above average, uh, Worth, Harper, Spann, uh, pretty much every position player is projected to be above average except for uh, second base, which they have, you know, Escobar now, who can certainly has had seasons where he's been above average, so could bounce back. And then, of course, having... Scherzer, Strasburg, the other Zimmerman, Fister, <laughs> Rorick, Joe Gonzalez. I mean, it's just uh, like it's just insane. It, that it just reminds me of the Phillies from 2000, I don't know, 2008 or whatever Phillies Yankees, whatever year that World Series was. That Phillies team was just so good across the board that it, it's just destined to be. So, yeah, everybody looks like Chris Trevor, and he was their seventh most valuable player last year. Right, <laughs> position player. <laughs> And I picked him to be MVP this year. I think this will be the year he finally. Yeah, uh, he was injured last year. Give him some. And he was 22 years old. So yeah, he's right. Right. Forget how young. No, that's the thing. He's been around, you know, for three years, but yeah. he's still 22. I mean, he's. Yet they think he's overrated. The MLB players think he's overrated. I don't. Get I, it. I think I saw some stat too where he's never faced a pitcher younger than him. I think he hasn't. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I actually spent about three hours the other day. I saw that. I tried to disprove that and. There was his like very first game. He placed this guy Peter Trago, who was like three months older than him. But that's it. He's never faced anybody younger than him. It's just insane. Huh. Uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty incredible. Well, if I see five of us pick the Nationals to win an pennant, so <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's, they're, I guess they're kind of like Kentucky, you know, the, the yeah. overwhelming favorite. But uh, you know, baseball is right. a funny way of uh, kind of knocking off the the favorite and, and allowing sure. a team like the Royals to win the series. 
they do have a. I mean, they have one of the most stacked starting rotations that I've seen in a really long time. It resembles what Detroit had at the end of last year um, when they you know, could throw out Sanchez, um, Price, and Scherzer and then backed it up with, you know, Verlander. But uh, they have Zimmerman, Strasburg, Gonzalez, and Scherzer now. Yeah, and I took Tanner Rourke in a fantasy draft and I because he won 15 games last year, had an ERA under three. And I forgot, he's their number six starter. He's not going to yeah, be in the rotation. But he's going to put him in the bullpen. Yeah, I was like, yeah. oh, just, man. That's what like I mean, it's like, right. it's both my I mean, mind. Yeah, they have Doug Fister is rounding out their rotation. Right. <laughs> like he'd, be our, Doug, he'd probably be our best pitcher, wouldn't he? Yeah. Well, he'd certainly be the most, you know, proven pitcher that we have in terms of, you know, production and talent and things like that. But I think Jordano Ventura is better than him talent-wise, but Doug sure. Fister obviously has a longer yeah, track. More upside with, with Ventura, but I think sure. if you're looking at projections, I think Fister would at least would be either one or two. Well, and I mean, the reason I say that is because I picked Jordano Ventura to win the AL Cy Young this year, so. And that would be great if that happened. Yeah, it would be. Well, you know, there's we know from last year there's a lot of unpredictability, so you can pretty much – Toss out all our predictions, but uh, you know we just wanted to lay it on the line to get them out there, and and you can uh, you can see our predictions thread at worldsreview.com, and uh, yeah, we're, we're, I'm sure we'll revisit them. We can always edit them later, and, and you know make it look smart, make us look smarter than we we really are. But uh, uh, that'll kind of wrap things up for today. And uh, gentlemen, thanks for being on the show. And I think the next time we talk, uh, Royals are actually they'll actually be playing some real baseball. Thank you. Thank you. Well, joining me now is Jason Lukart. He's the managing editor of the Cleveland Indian site Let's Go Tribe, also part of the SB Nation network of blogs. J- Jason, uh, thanks for joining us today. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, great. Well, the uh, the Indians, you know, have been kind of a sexy pick among the sabermetric crowd, I think, the last few years, but they've really become a mainstream pick in the preseason rankings and predictions this year, especially with Sports Illustrated picking them to win it all. I think Fangraphs and Grandland also had the Indians doing really well in their projections for this year. Are the high expectations shared by the Indians fan base, and and do you think they're deserving of this kind of attention already uh, this year? Uh, you know, in in terms of the fan base, I, it's so bizarre. I think a lot of fans are really excited about it, and then there's another segment of the fan base that I think actively dislikes the fact that the Indians are getting so much attention, getting talked up. I think some of that is sort of preferring to be the underdog and hopefully kind of come from behind. I think some of it is uh, a sense that when there have been high expectations, they've led to disappointing seasons. Uh, I don't know. It's a strange city because it's not only the Indians not winning a World Series since 1948, uh, but the Browns have been pretty inept. Uh, The Cavs have gotten close a few times, but haven't won so the city is sort of starved for a championship, and I think there's sort of a weird identity about uh, not wanting to be favorites. But I think uh, enthusiasm is, is, is warranted. Um, I tend to feel like Detroit still has a little more talent, um, but given that it's sort of boring to pick the same team year after year after year, I think the Indians are close enough to them that I'm not surprised a lot of people are picking them. 
I certainly expect them to have a good year uh, and hopefully uh, win the division and we'll see. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's merited um, and I'm excited about it. I, I'm not one of those who, who wishes no one was talking about them. I like that they're getting the attention. It's a spotlight that's not on the team very often, so... Yeah, I think any time I hear a Kansas City sports fan talk about how cursed our city is, I, I always think, man, you should really talk to a Cleveland sports fan sometime because you guys have really had some tough breaks over the years. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, we got some, some good karma last year. I think you guys could probably uh, deserve, you deserve probably a lifetime of good karma after all the uh, all the tough games you guys have gone through. Uh, last year, let's, let's talk about the Indians team last year real quickly. Um you guys won 85 games last year. You kind of hung in the wild card race, but it seemed like there was just too many teams, the Royals and the Mariners, um, to, and the A's, to kind of overcome. Why do you think the Indians fell a little bit short last year? Because it seems like they had a pretty talented core in, intact. Um, I think part of it was they they almost never had everything working at once. Uh, the pitching was sort of a mess, the starting pitching, for a lot of the year. Justin Masterson was expected to be really good again and instead uh, struggled with his health and was eventually traded away. Uh, and at the at the trade deadline, the rotation was in shambles, uh, other than Corey Kluber, who was pitching brilliantly. And then Carlos Carrasco got moved back into the rotation, uh, and some other guys, things just clicked. And they were fantastic for the last two months, legitimately the best rotation in baseball. Um, but then the offense, which had been pretty good, started floundering around the same time. And so they never really had a long stretch where, like I said, where everything seemed to be going well. And so they had a hard time putting together extended, you know, winning streaks or, you know, winning eight of nine or something like that. So it was hard for them to make up ground in a hurry. And especially when, as you said, there were so many teams in the mix that could just never, you know, quite get to where they needed to get. Um, so I don't think it was quite one thing going wrong. It was just sort of well, the defense. Uh, the defense went very wrong pretty much all year. Um, but it was just a lot of uh, things not quite going right. And then as that came together, something else falling apart. So they were a good team, uh, but not a great team. And I think 85 wins but missing the playoffs is, is about what they deserved. So going into the off season, it sounds like they didn't really have too many big holes to fill, but maybe just that extra extra oomph to get them over the top. What what, what do they do to address some of their needs in the off season, and and how do you assess uh, well, the they, job they did? They really only made they really only made two moves. Uh, one of which was signing Gavin Floyd, with the idea of him being like a number four starter for them. Uh, but his elbow problems have returned, and he's probably out for the year. So the only really new face they're going to have is Brandon Moss. Uh, they traded a sort of B or C level prospect to Oakland to get him. And Moss has had some health concerns, but he hit, uh, I think 21 home runs, 20, 21 home runs before the all-star break last year. So he's got great power. Uh, and he seems to be healthy right now. He's having a good spring. Uh, so that's a big bat to drop into the middle of the order. He's, he's pretty similar in a lot of ways to Carlos Santana in that he's got a really low batting average, which frustrates a lot of fans, um, but he draws walks at a good rate. So he gets on base pretty well and has a lot of power. Uh, and so I think that's, you know, that's a, a solid upgrade. And beyond him, it really is just bringing the same team back from last year and, you know, hoping things click a little better or click a little sooner with the, the pitching and things like that. So 
what you see in 2015 will be mostly what you saw in 2014, just a, a better version, we hope. Yeah, we're pretty familiar with Brandon Moss after his uh, two home runs in the wild card game against the Royals, and that uh, almost took the sail out of our the wind out of our sails in last year. But uh, how does how does he fit into their lineup? Is he where's he going to hit, and what position do you th- do you see him playing for the Indians this year? Um, in terms of the lineup, I I would guess he's going to bat fifth. Uh, Santana's been the cleanup hitter, and I think that will continue. Uh, and I, I would guess Moss will be fifth. Uh, right now. It looks like he'll probably be the DH. I know he would like to play right field. Uh, right now the Indians have David Murphy and Ryan Rayburn in sort of a somewhat mediocre platoon out there. Uh, so certainly Moss could play right field. Um, but I think right now Nick Swisher is going to start the season on the DL, uh, which kind of opens up the DH spot. And I think Francona would probably prefer Murphy or Rayburn uh, actually in the field. But Moss will probably get you know a game or two a week out there. Uh, and then if Swisher comes back and is actually worth anything, he'll DH and Moss will probably get more time in right. So I think, you know, he could play a little first base too if Carlos needs a day off here or there. Uh, but he should be, yeah, I think probably the five spots and he should have a lot of runners on base with Michael Brantley and Carlos Santana being the two hitters up ahead of him. Well, speaking of Brantley, he certainly got it, really broke through and became a star last year. He was an all-star for the first time and finished third in a MVP balloting. Uh, was, that, was that a huge surprise to Indians fan, and do you expect him to kind of continue that going into 2015? Um, it was a big surprise for me. Not not in terms of, uh, you know, I didn't think he was any good, but I thought he was a, a, a really solid player, and I felt comfortable sort of expecting him to hit, you know, 10, 15 home runs, you know, bat 280, 290. Um but I would not have predicted, you know, third place in the MVP voting, one of the, you know, two or three best hitters in the league. I think he'll probably uh, regress a bit, a bit this year. I think anytime someone has a season like that, you should sort of expect they're going to fall off a bit. Um, but he's always had uh, really good bat control in terms of not striking out. Um, and he makes good contact. And if you hit line drives and don't strike out, you're going to hit for a pretty good average. Uh, he found a lot more power than he'd had before, and I'm sort of interested to see whether he can continue to be, you know, a 20 home run guy, or if he goes back to hitting the 10 or 12 he was before. Uh, so I, I think he'll continue to be a really good player. Uh, I'm not expecting what he did last year, uh, but that's fine. I think there's other guys who will be a little better this year, uh, and I think Brantley's still going to be sort of a, you know, an all-star caliber player, probably the the second best left fielder in the league behind only uh, your Alex Gordon. You talked to all about uh, Carlos Santana earlier before, and he's a guy that we certainly hate seeing at the plate because he's destroyed Royals pitching over the years. I think he has like a 1,000 OPS against the Royals uh, in his career. He had kind of a rough start, I think, the first half, and then the second half was just hitting everything off, the, hitting cover off the ball. What, what was there any explanation for why he had kind of the streaky year he had? And is, is what do you expect out of him in 2015? Um, well, the, the theory that's been put out last offseason, uh, in 2013, Jan Gomes came up and played incredibly and sort of made it clear that he should be the catcher. And so at the end of 2013, uh, Santana mostly played DH. Uh, and the team played really well. They won the last 10 games of the year to get into the wild card game. Uh, and so Santana didn't really say much during the season. But in the offseason, he said he didn't like DHing and he wanted to play 
try third base because he just wanted to be in the field. So he spent most of that offseason in the Dominican League uh, working to become a capable third baseman uh, and was given a third base job to start last year. Uh, but then they still used him at catcher once a week, and he was playing first base once or twice. Playing, the, And so this theory is he was so sort of preoccupied with playing three different defensive positions um, that he wasn't quite as on track with the hitting. Whether there's truth to that or not, you know, we're never going to know. But that's sort of the theory. Uh, and then in May, he suffered a concussion on a – I think it was on a foul tip that hit him in the mask while he was catching. And he missed about ten games. Uh, and that was the last time he played catcher. He didn't play third base again. He came back first base only. Uh, and it was really, it was, you know, from, from the time he came back the first few days of June, uh, he, as you said, he destroyed the ball for a couple of months. I think his OPS for June and July combined was like 1100. Uh, it was probably the best hitter in the league for two months. And he cooled back off a bit. Uh, but, you know, he's set as first baseman this year. He'll probably, you know, DH once a week just to kind of get a little extra rest. Um, but I think he'll be I, – I actually think he's going to be the team's best hitter this year, not Michael Brantley. But is it safe to say his catching days are probably over then? Yeah, I think he's done. And I think that's for the best. You know, he, he was never a great defensive catcher, and Jan Gomes is, is one of the best. Uh, mm-hmm. The Indians have a guy named Roberto Perez as the backup, who's also a really good defensive catcher. So even if Gomes were to suffer an injury or something, I think they would just put Perez in the starting lineup and – keep Carlos where he is at first base. I don't think we'll see him behind the plate at all this year. Well, you know, if you didn't have enough young hitters in your lineup already, uh, there's a young shortstop by the name of Francisco Lindor, who is supposed to be one of the top young shortstop prospects in all of baseball. Uh, I think I heard he is not he's going to be sent down to minors to start the year. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but when should we expect to see him and what what kind of uh, what was he capable of doing? Is there kind of a, a comp in the majors that you can compare him to? Um, well, you are right. He, he's going to start the year in AAA, um, which is, is where he spent uh, last year, um, most of last year. And he, uh, in terms of the comps, uh, Anderson Simmons in Atlanta sort of comes to mind in terms of he's supposed to just be a tremendous defender. Uh, you know, I've seen him on video make some incredible plays. I've only seen him in person once, and that was uh, more than two years ago at a, a single-A All-Star game. Um but he, he gets rave reviews for his defense uh, and his offense. He sort of profiles as the kind of guy who he's not going to hit a ton of home runs, uh, you know, but could have a pretty good batting average, draw a decent number of walks, and hit a lot of doubles. Uh, you know, so he, he profiles as sort of a somewhat above average hitter. And if you're a Gold Glove defensive shortstop and you're a somewhat above average hitter, I mean, that makes you a great player. So that's sort of the the hope that he can, you know, be that sort of player, sort of a, uh, you know, I wonder, Ozzy Smith is getting carried away, but if you want to talk about sort of a famous player who he could maybe be compared to, that's the type of player he seems like he's going to be. Uh, in terms of when he might arrive, uh, it's complicated by the fact that the Indians have Jose Ramirez at shortstop, who's also a young guy, and he got called up last year, uh, you know, a much less heralded prospect. Um, but the last couple of months, he played pretty well. He played good defense. Uh, he hit pretty well. He certainly did well enough for me to feel comfortable with him as the team shortstop. Uh, if he gets off to a slow start, I could see Lindor up, you know, in May. Um, but I think if Jose Ramirez continues to play pretty well, they're not going to force the issue. I mean, they'd be happy to have 
Lindor under team control for as long as possible. Now, if he's hitting really well in AAA, at some point he maybe forces the issue. Uh, but right now, I don't think we're going to see him till you know around the All Star break. Uh, if Ramirez gets hurt, or if Jason Kipnis were to get hurt, they might try sliding Ramirez over to second, and they could bring him up. Uh, but if players are healthy and productive, I don't think they're going to rush him up. Uh, not because he's not ready, but just because they'll feel like they can hold off and uh, you know save him for a rainy day. Hmm. Well, the emphasis on now on defense, I think you know, having a glove guy short like that could be you know really valuable. So if they they see themselves in the race mid season, that'd be a, that might be a nice asset to bring up mid season, uh, especially to help the pitching staff. Let's turn to the pitching staff real quick. Uh, I was kind of surprised to see Danny Salazar sent down to the minors to begin the year. Uh, he's kind of a, I think a favorite on our side at least. Not that we like watching a pitch, but just we thought he was going to be a really good pitcher this year. Uh, and certainly a lot of projection models like him. Uh, what was the why did they demote him, and who do you see replacing him in the rotation? Um, they've actually set the rotation, so I can just yesterday, so I can I can get back to that in a minute. In terms of Salazar. Uh, his big problem was giving up home runs. Uh, every start he made, and he only made four sort of official game starts uh, this season. He gave up at least one home run in every one of them. Uh, he tends to work pretty deep into the count, so his, his pitch count goes up high. He, he never made it more than four innings in any of those four games. So I think there's just a sense that he's, you know, he's got he's got the stuff, um, but he just hasn't been able to quite pull it together consistently. Uh, this is kind of similar to what happened last year. He got off to kind of a, a late start in camp and then a slow start and was kind of up and down. Um, and eventually they, they just left him in AAA for, I don't remember exactly how long, but probably close to two months. And when they finally called him back up around the All-Star break, he was, you know, part of, like I said, the rotation was the best in baseball for the last couple of months, and he was definitely part of that. Um, but I think they just, didn't see the kind of progress from last year to this year, and it, he kind of reverted to more what he looked like early last season. So, uh, you know, I hope he gets things straightened out pretty quickly because I think he's got more talent than, you know, a couple of guys in the rotation. But I also think, given the results of spring, uh, it was the right move. Uh, so just yesterday they they sort of made a couple moves, and so they've now said the rotation will be Corey Kluber at the top, of course, uh, Carlos Carrasco, Trevor Bauer, and then the last two spots are going to be T.J. House and Zach McAllister. Um, so that's the look for the rotation. House is a lefty. Uh, he made his debut last year and did pretty well um, and was in the rotation for a little more than the second half of the season, maybe the last four months or so. Uh, Zach McAllister was a league average pitcher for a couple of years uh, and then struggled last year a lot and was moved to the bullpen and spent some time in the minors. Uh, but he's pitched great this spring. Uh his velocity is higher than it's ever been. Um, his strikeout rate's been impressive. His walk rate's been impressive. So he pitched, you know, better than Kluber, better than, than anyone else in camp. Um, so that's going to be the rotation at least to start the year. And then if, you know, if Salazar's lights out in AAA, uh, you know, I guess they'll have a decision to make. But it's a nice problem to have when you have, you know, especially these days with pitchers going down on left and right. It's nice to have six, you know, even seven guys that can step into that rotation. Right. Uh, what what do you think has to go right for the Indians to to make the playoffs this year? Is there and you know is there maybe one or two key players you think have to have a big year, year to have, make sure the Indians? Um, have success? I think for me, 
one of the key players is Jason Kipnis, uh, the second baseman who was great in 2013, had sort of what seemed like a breakout year, was signed to a, a big contract extension uh, just before last season started, um, got off to sort of a slow start, suffered a strained oblique, uh, came back probably too soon, he says, because he sort of felt some uh, self-imposed pressure to live up to the contract, and he just never got things back together. Uh, his defense didn't look right, and his, his offense was nothing like it had been the year before. Uh, if they had the 2013 Kipnis last year, I think you know they might have been in the wild card game, and maybe they would have been the ones in Game 7 of the World Series. As is, if he can rebound to even something closer uh, to his 2013 form, that would be you know an extra two or three wins for the team. So I think seeing if he can bounce back or not, um, that's, for me, one of the players I'm really keeping an eye on. Uh, beyond him, the starting rotation, as impressive as they were for the last couple of months last year, uh, there are a lot of questions, even about Kluber. I mean, Kluber was the best pitcher in the American League last year, but he's got like a year and a half as a really good pitcher. Uh, and not that I, I don't think he's going to fall off. I think he will continue to be a really good pitcher. Um, but it's not like he's an especially established ace, you know, like Clayton Kershaw or Felix Hernandez, someone like that. So, I mean, I think the pitching, I feel good about him, but I'll sort of be holding my breath, too. Um, you know, a lot of youth, a lot of talent, uh, but a lot of sort of inconsistency, too. And if, if the rotation pitches, you know, anywhere near what it was doing last August and September, I think the Indians, you know, maybe should be considered the favorites. But it's impossible to know if that's going to happen until it does or doesn't happen. Uh, so I think that's... Uh, that's the big question is just the rotation as a whole. Okay. Well, uh, we we kind of had our predictions thread this week on our site at Royals Review. Uh, do you want to give you put it on the line and put your predictions, put a number on how many games the, the Indians win this year, and how do you see the Central kind of shaping up this year? Um. Well, I'm prone to pessimism with the Indians, <laughs> and so despite all, all my <laughs> despite all my talk about how good they could be. Uh, I can't bring myself to to expect them to win the division. I, I think they're going to win, you know, 86, 87 games. Uh, I think that'll be good enough for second place uh, behind Detroit. Um, and I think it'll have them in the wild card mix all year. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if 87 wins were enough for a wild card. It wouldn't surprise me if it's not. Uh, you know, I think the last week or two of the regular season, they'll still be in the thick of things. Uh, but I, I'm still expecting Detroit to, to have enough things hold it together that they win the division again. I'm curious, while we're talking, what's, yeah. what's your expectation for the Royals this year? Um, I, you know, a lot of the Fangrass and uh, Dakota standings have had them, you know, below 500. Uh, and some of them are a little pessimistic, but I'm kind of right there. I'm, I, I put it 78 wins this year. Um, yeah. Just because I didn't like, I, I thought they had to improve just to get where they, you know, get to where they were last year, and they right. used James Shields and Billy Butler and Nor- Nori Aoki, and they don't, I don't think the guys they got were really upgrades at all. So I think the division's tougher, and uh, yeah, it's just gonna be it's gonna be tougher for them. And you know, they still have a good nucleus, and it wouldn't surprise me if they made the playoffs. I mean, it surprised me a little bit, but I just I don't know. I'm a little pessimistic on this year, but. Yeah. I think the Indians do win the pennant this year, so uh, I guess I'm optimistic about the Indians. 
I hope you're right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'll be a fun season either way. And, uh, you know, the Indians have a, have a really fun young team, I think, to watch. And I think the Royals have a fun young team to watch. So watching them go, go at it this year, I think will be a lot of fun for all the fans and, you know, yeah, I do too. I think it's going to be one of the most exciting divisions in baseball. There's a lot of interesting players and interesting teams, and it should be a tight race one way or another. Yeah, and either way, you know, hopefully Cleveland fans or Kansas City fans can get you know get reverse some of that bad karma in, in the sports world. So, <laughs> right. well, thanks for joining me, Jason. Uh, you can follow uh, Jason at Jason Lukehart uh, at or at uh, Let's Go Tribe on the SB Nation uh, of blogs. And uh, Jason, thanks again for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's good to talk to you, Max. All right, take it easy. Joining me now is Jim Margulis. He's the managing editor of Southside Sox. They're the Chicago White Sox fan site on the SP Nation Network of Blogs. Uh, thanks for joining me tonight, Jim. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, the White Sox have had a pretty busy offseason, and uh, they've been pretty aggressive in improving their, their team this year. Uh, kind of going into the winter, did you, I guess, first of all, did you expect them to be so aggressive? And then what did you kind of see as their biggest area they needed to focus on going into the offseason? I didn't expect them to be that aggressive. I expected them to make some upgrades because uh, they did have uh, Chris Sale and Jose Abreu and Jose Quintana and Adam Eaton in their primes. And especially with a guy like Sale and a guy like Abreu, you really don't want to piss away um, their best years waiting for, you know, the I guess the textbook rebuild where you keep collecting pieces and you don't uh, splurge until you maybe cross the 500 threshold. But... Uh, yeah, offseason seemed to have its own momentum a little bit. They they started slow with Adam LaRoche and, and Zach Duke, and LaRoche shining really didn't make much sense, I guess, and, and I was kind of underwhelmed by it at first because you think, well, they've been looking for these younger 20-something high upside guys they've been trading for, and now they bring in, a, a, I guess, a more certain uh, player who doesn't have that kind of exciting uh, potential in, a guy, in LaRoche. And you're kind of waiting for, well, you know, how does this fit ultimately? And then they explained it over the rest of the offseason how he fits. He's basically the uh, um, the left-handed power bat that slots behind Abreu and between uh, Abreu and Avisael Garcia. And, you know, then they bring in Samarja, they bring in uh, Robertson, they bring in Melky Cabrera, and, and, and they strengthen the bench of Bonifacio. And all of a sudden, okay, that's now a complete roster that a, uh, a 30-something LaRoche who may be, you know, entering his decline or managing a decline uh, really – fits into in a two-year window. Yeah, and you, you mentioned uh, Zamarja there. Um, and, you know, I think that was kind of surprising to a lot of people that the White Sox went after him and that the A's were even trading him. Uh, and, and he pairs with Chris Sale. Uh, how does the rest – I think you mentioned Quintana. How does, how does the rotation kind of shake out for you guys this year? Well, it's it's a strong top three with Sale. Um, you know, he's he hasn't uh, seen any action in the spring so far because he, he had a, a, a slight break of his foot jumping off the uh, bed of his truck. And, uh, he's expecting Is that the story to, he's going with, or? That's the story, and, and nobody has debunked it, and as somebody who's jumped off the bed of a truck and <laughs> kind of felt it, is like, yeah, I can kind of see that, even though he weighs, uh, 40 pounds less than I do somehow. <laughs> um, but, no, actually, no, it's only 20 pounds now, haha. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, so, yeah, that story hasn't been debunked, so I, I think that's, that's, I guess, pretty fair. Um, yeah, then, then Samarja Mahanam Quintana is a pretty good third. He's been underrated and, and Samarja's come in and because of his ties, he's from Northwest Indiana, which is White Sox territory. Um, you know, it's, it's a big homecoming story. The White Sox are trying to, uh, stir up some excitement to make it a place where he might be, uh, it might be conducive for him to sign a long-term extension. And Quintana's been further overshadowed by that because he's outpitched Samarja over the last couple of years. Um, he's actually been really good. And then, uh, the back end of the rotation a little bit dicey right now. Um, you know, Hector Noesi, uh, came in. 
in, and he was kind of laughing stock in the American League because he was so terrible with the Rangers and Mariners. Um, but, you know, he came in, and, and uh, he didn't have any options left, so the White Sox had to break him into the rotation on the fly. And, you know, he actually pitched pretty well. I mean, it, you know, he pitched like a fifth starter, um, yeah, ERA plus in the 80s. But, you know, he tended to limit his uh, bad innings to a crooked number, maybe give a homer or two. Uh, and, uh, you know, it might be an ugly inning, but he bounced back. And he really gave the White Sox watchable starts, which they didn't really have, um, you know, with guys like Scott Carroll and, and Eric Johnson and others. So he was kind of a godsend last year. And, and I think the Sox expect a little bit of improvement. I don't know if I see improvement, but if he's able to do what he did last year, that's useful in some extent and then John Dinks um, you know hasn't been the same since the shoulder surgery but he came back last year and was actually pretty good for quality starts um, he had more quality starts than a guy like Mark Burley and and, and uh, you know while quality starts aren't really you know a, a sabermetric favorite for a fifth starter I, I think uh, a 4.5 ERA is uh, is what you'd you know want from a guy holding at the back end of rotation with guys like uh, Sale and Samarja in front of him uh, the X factor is Carlos Rodon, who you guys saw in a spring training game. Yeah, um, yeah, he looked pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, and he's you know he's biding his time. It's not quite as bad as the Chris Bryant situation. He does need to improve his changeup at some point, and he does need to improve fastball command. But he's a major league pitcher now, and you know he might break into the bullpen early on if they have uh, a more glaring vacancy there. But he'll probably be up um, in the early season, even you know maybe before the end of April. And he was their 2014 draft pick, first round pick. Is that right? Yep. Okay. And yeah, somehow yeah, it's like the Michael Jordan uh, pick, you know, sliding down to uh, uh, to number three when he could have easily been number one. Right, and, and you know we know how quickly guys can can rise. Like we saw Brandon Finnegan in, the, in that same draft already make to the big leagues, and and he, I think it's kind of a similar situation where the Royals are sending him down to get some more seasoning. But like Rodon, uh, you know, we could see him up pretty quickly. But I think Rodon, I think has probably uh, a more upside. I think is he, are they looking at him as a future like number one starter down the line? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think he's got the attitude. He's got the uh, the stuff. You know, I guess the scouts, you know, the the uh, prospect evaluators say that his delivery is a little unorthodox, maybe a little more, bit more of a high effort delivery than is ideal, and so maybe his fastball command is never going to be pinpoint. But that slider, you know, he throws it two different ways. He can throw it 90 miles per hour. He can throw it 84 with more tilt. Um, yeah, that's almost two pitches right there. So if he develops a changeup, that's almost like he has four pitches. Uh, you talked about uh, Samarja being a local kid. Um, is, are there, have they had any contract extension talks with him? Is it is it something that they really think they could they could do, or is it, is it probably going to come down to re-signing I, I, him this winter? No, I think the uh, the White Sox want to, and, and they floated the idea. And Samarja, I think he's. I don't think he's fully sold on going to free agency, but I think he's taking. He, that's his first idea, and I think he's taking a wait and see to see, um, you know, how it. Uh, how it all fits with the White Sox. I think he's getting, you know, used to uh, Don Cooper and, and, and uh, you know, and Robin Ventura and the White Sox front office. I think they're kind of getting acclimated to each other. And, you know, if, if it works out, I guess you can say there's, you know, this, this uh, perfect storm brewing of the White Sox getting good. Uh, Samarge is going to be the opening day starter because uh, sales out. And uh, they, I think they really want to make something special. You know, and, and they actually created a cheering section like, uh, you know, um, you know, the uh, Felix Hernandez King Court. They have the shark, uh, shark cage. Okay. Um, down in the left field corner. Uh, so they really want to stir something up and, and really uh, make Samarja realize that this is like the perfect place for him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, them that might be uh, all in vain, but I think it should be at least good fun. And, uh, you know, 
right? And you know how contracts work with uh, you know thirty something pitchers. If he leaves, it's not the worst thing in the world, right? And you'll get that, and because you guys acquired him this past winter, you'll get some draft pick compensation if he does leave. So that's kind of nice too. Yeah. Um, let's turn to the uh, lineup a little bit. Uh, I guess you got to start with Jose Abreu, uh, rookie of the year, just I mean, one of the best rookie of the year as we've seen in a while. Just exploded upon the league. Is there is there any fear that he'll have a sophomore slump at all, or do you think that he has a chance to get even better this year? Uh, no, I think the only question is, you know, whether he, you know, has the ability to lead the league in homers, which is a, a nice question to have. Uh, his power dropped off at the, uh, you know, in the second half, and they attributed it to fatigue because he's never played a full season, uh, never anything like the, the grind of a 162 game season. So I think, uh, you know, people look at that power drop off and think, oh, it might not be the, uh, you know, 40 something, even maybe 50 homer guy that he looked like in the first half of the season. But he also showed in the second half that he can be a complete hitter. He cut his strikeout rate dramatically. He upped his walk rate. He can use all fields. He has a few different swings. You know, he can inside out the ball and dump balls in the right field. He's really hard to beat. Um, you know, he, I still think that he has 40 homer potential. Um, you know, he can, um, you can barrel up a lot of stuff. He can hit the ball out to, you know, right, center, and left. So, you know, he can, especially in a small park like uh, U.S. Cellular Field, um, he can get a lot of cheap homers, and, and uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with cheap homers. So, um, I, th- you know, I don't think he'll have that problem. I think, um, you know, yeah, I, he's great. I think I'll just say that. <laughs> he's really great. Yeah, as a Royals fan, I didn't even know it was possible for players to hit 40 home runs. Is that allowed? I, I thought that was illegal. So uh, Yeah, no, it's it, – and, uh, you know, we might see that we're not allowed to catch the ball. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's that's the biggest problem that we have. Now, will he split time at all at DH with LaRoche in the, in, the, in the lineup now, or is he pretty much a first baseman? Yeah, the plan is for LaRoche to play uh, two days a week, and I think that's fair because LaRoche is the better first baseman. At the same time, Abreu, you know, he, his metrics were pretty bad at first, and he's never going to be a good first baseman, but he did, at least to my eyes, he improved in the over the second half. He looked a little more comfortable moving around the bag. They they were able to shift him a bit more, you know, play him in a, bit, uh, a few more different positions. And I think... Uh, you know, it just took uh, time to get used to, uh, you know, the major league speed of the game, the throws, all all that stuff. So um, I, I don't think it would be uh, right to abandon uh, any further development by playing LaRoche a little bit more to get a, uh, you know, a slight defensive edge, you know, maybe over the course of a season, you know, playing maybe one or two extra days. But um, given that he's signed, you know, you know, for five more years and LaRoche is only around for two, I do think that to keep a, a Braves first base abilities in mind. Uh, the White Sox also added uh, an old friend of ours, Melky, Melky Cabrera, mm-hmm. who uh, spent a year in Kansas City. Uh, how, where does he fit in the lineup, and, and how do you see the kind of the starting nine on uh, that we'll see on uh, Monday in Kansas City? He's going to be, you know, the second hitter who the White Sox have lacked for years. Um, that's the idea. You know, he's a switch hitter with no platoon splits. They can play him every day. Uh, Adam Eaton doesn't really have uh, platoon splits. Uh, Abreu can hit both sides. So I think they have an everyday one, two, three between Eaton, uh, Melky, and Abreu. And then uh, um, from that point on, you'll have LaRoche, Avi Garcia, who is going to be an interesting guy to watch because uh, the stats are pretty down on projection-wise because he, you know, between being really young for every level, uh, not having great plate discipline, and also, um, you know, have, hurting his shoulder last year, um, he's lacked the reps to really get a really firm idea of what he's about, but he's such a physical marvel uh, that he looks like he can be an all-star. And, and you know, the looks, you know, seeing a guy that huge hulking over the plate is uh, compelling enough. So, you know, he's going to be fascinating. Uh, then, you know, the the bottom of the order might change a little bit. You'll have uh, some mix of uh, Alexi Ramirez, Connor Gillespie, uh, Tyler Flowers, a catcher, and then whoever wins the second base battle right now looks like uh, Micah Johnson, but Carlos Sanchez in the mix, too. 
Yeah, Micah Johnson, I think we saw in a spring training game, and he looked really impressive to us and seems like the kind of guy that would really fit in Kansas City, just the guy that has tremendous speed. And uh, I don't know, the White Sox always seem to do pretty well. You guys always seem to do poorly in the minor league rankings, but then somehow, you know, end up producing pretty useful guys out of your farm system. So I don't know, maybe it's just an indication that the, scoutings, the scouts don't always know what they're talking about. Uh, kind of one guy that epitomizes that is Adam Eaton, who I don't think was on a lot of hot prospect lists, but has really developed into you know a tremendous leadoff hitter, and it's especially a thorn in the Royals' side. And um, I certainly wasn't pleased to see him sign a five-year contract extension with the White Sox. Now that they're kind of locking guys up like that, is there an, is there an idea that the rebuilding process is over, or is it still ongoing? Is there an expect, expectation that they're going to win this year? What's kind of the expectation in Chicago? I think they're expecting to win this year. I think they're um, they're not totally committed to 2015. They really didn't sell out for it. Uh, you know, in, in the Samarja trade, they traded Marcus Semyon, and he's a good player. I, I liked him a lot, um, especially more of a second baseman than a shortstop like the A's are doing. I don't know if he has the arm accuracy uh, to really make pl- as many plays as you'd like from that position. But uh, I, I do like him as an infielder of some sort. I like his bat, and uh, I think he has a really good acumen towards the game. Uh, but he was really the only prospect of note that they gave up um, over the winter and you know when you look at Micah Johnson who um, you know you mentioned that he, he was overlooked and he's an interesting guy because he's uh, he's fast as all hell but he uh, you know he's got some hitting skills he, he looks like he uh, he gives pitchers a hard time at the plate but his defense is kind of rough he's another guy who's lacked reps because of injuries and uh, you know he, he tends to have these nagging injuries that knock him out for a uh, or, or bother him for a long period of time, and so he maybe doesn't get the reps that he needs. And so at second base, he has some range, but uh, you know when he gets towards the end of his range and he has to make a quick turn with his feet or make a quick throw, he might not be as crisp as you'd like. So um, there are con- some concerns there, but I think you know they're looking. I, I think while he's healthy and while he's 100%, while he looks like he's a good uh, uh, battler at the plate, I think they're going to see what he looks like at the major league level. Um, but, you know, as for the rest of the lineup, I think, uh, you know, it could still be a little bit of a transition process, maybe like the Royals two years ago when they made that run and came up a little bit short, um, because it really is hard to gain, you know, 15 wins in a season, which is what you think they're looking to do going from 73 wins to the playoffs. But uh, they... I guess the good news is that, you know, besides Semyon, uh, they really didn't get themselves into terrible contracts. I think David Robertson, you know, his four-year, $46 million contract, that's not what you ideally want to give a closer. But if that's the worst contract on the books, that's one that they can easily work around. Yeah, it seems like all the moves they made were at least pretty smart moves that even if it doesn't pan out, they're not going to be hurting. And Chicago's, you know, it's certainly not the White Sox, I don't think, are a large market team, but they're a team that probably mid-tier team, it seems like, that could probably absorb a bad contract if they had to. Um, it, just kind of looking out, and what what do you think? What do you think has to go right for the White Sox to be in the hunt for the Central Division this year? What 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 pitfalls do they need to avoid? Well, I think um, you know, given that they've built this team on the fly, uh, there really isn't the kind of depth uh, organizationally that you you'd like to see. Maybe have like a, a perennial contender like the uh, like the Cardinals or the Nationals or something like that. Um, they really don't have the lines of talent. So I think keeping you know the first line on the field, um, it, you know, as often as possible is is going to be key, especially with uh, with the top three starters with the, you know Chris Hill, um, uh, Samarja, Quintana, uh, making sure that they're all. 
200 innings are close to it because, um, you know, but aside from Rodon, you know, he's the, he's the ace up the sleeve, but, you know, given that teams usually use more than six starters in the season and have to dip in the seventh and eighth arms, they really don't have anybody outstanding, uh, for that role right now. So I think, uh, you know, starter depth is going to be key. Uh, the do, bullpen sorry, was, do they know when Sale's coming back yet? Uh, Sale, he, he's penciled in for April 12th. Okay, and so, so far he's, really a starter too. yeah, so it's just a matter of, you know, whether there's any rust from an abbreviated spring or anything like that. But so far, you know, um, it's looking okay. And they just have to make sure that he doesn't miss many more than, you know, that one start. Um, the bullpen, you know, given how bad they were last year, it's kind of like, you know, I guess a microcosm of the team trying to patch it up with, uh, Robertson and Zach Duke and hope that the, you know, gains from Zach Putnam and Jake Patrichka, who's actually currently injured, um, you know, hold up and, and, you know, that's another, area where it's just like, okay, we, we patched it. Now let's hope the uh, patches work and that nobody else uh, crumbles. That's kind of the same thing there. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's really a, uh, um, it's, it's a good first line. It just hope that it's not like a, a paper lion to where, you know, they, 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 uh, lose a couple pieces early on and things fall out of order. Okay. Well, use your crystal ball and let's, let's put it on the line now. Let's, uh, what, what, what's a number that you think the Chicago White Sox are going to win in 2015 and how do you kind of see the central, Shaking out when it's all said and done. You know, right now I have in mind uh, uh, 84 wins, and that's what the team is currently constructed. However, you know, given that they do have contract flexibility, that they didn't sell their farm, they're a team that could make a significant upgrade at the half, um, at the trade deadline, because uh, typically Jerry Reinsdorf, or Jerry Reinsdorf, you know, he's getting older and he's in the late 70s. Um, you know, he's he was, I guess, you know, when you when you read the stories, you don't know how much of it is owners, you know, spinning it to, uh, you know, make the owner look uh, charitable. Um, but you know, he's supposedly the driver behind this aggressive rebuild, saying that you know I can't really wait around uh, that much longer to really uh, uh, let a conventional rebuild play out. So um, I think if they're in position to add a piece, and you know, and there are some like you know maybe a David Price type situation where a guy's shaking loose, um, I think the White Sox would be the kind of team that would jump on that, even you know for a significant uh, prospect investment. Um, so I could see them making a huge splash in, in, at the trade deadline and shaking things up there that really changed their second half forecast. But as currently constructed, given that uh, I tend to, uh, I guess, um, bet on depth, if uh, if nothing else, um, I would say 84 wins right now. And out of the central, um, I guess I like Cleveland the best just because they seem the least susceptible to being killed by a major injury. Um, you know, the Tigers are frustrating because you think, uh, you know, it's going to happen to them, but Miguel Cabrera is invincible. Um, yeah, he basically loses a body part a season and still hits, uh, you know, 320 with, uh, with, with, uh, you know, 120 extra base hits. So, yeah, I don't like betting against them, but, yeah, it's just, uh, I, I guess. It looks going to run out eventually, it seems yeah. like. <laughs> yeah, but it's like you never, yeah, just it's hard to, you know, count into being this year. But I guess I like Cleveland the best, but I really don't see much uh, separation between them and, and even the Royals. Like, you know, you look at their offseason moves, and I'm sure you guys have discussed this to death, but when you see, uh, you know, Alex Rios and, and, uh, and is it Edson Volquez? Yes. And, uh, yeah, and, uh, uh, Kendris Morales is the big, you know, additions. Yeah, you know, it's like, eh. But then again, they just did it last year, and uh, and, <laughs> yeah, and I, excitement. <laughs> yeah, and I did, and I did like confident Ned Yost. Yeah. I, I did, I did, I did like that, uh, Ned Yost now. Yeah, I, I like it, you know, and because <laughs> I felt so bad for him, because you know, at, at one point in the off, at one point in the postseason, you know, everybody was waiting for Buck Showalter to uh, to, to kick his ass, and then you know, got to Boshi, and it's like he hasn't made a mistake since the uh, since the play-in game. 
You know, you I'm, sure, I'm sure that goodwill will, will run out the first week of this. I'll probably run out on Monday when he does something stupid against Chicago. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I mean, the, the Royals have had the White Sox number, so, uh, you know, maybe maybe that might buy him some time. But, you know, given the way the Royals have kind of worn out the White Sox the last couple of years, it's really hard for, you know, you know, looking at it objectively, they don't look that impressive. But, you know, I, I, I have no grounds to make fun of them, I guess. No, I, you know, I, I, your negativity and skepticism with them is warranted. I'm worried the same way, but... Then again, we said that last year, and they, they went on a run, and they kind of have a way of confounding us. So, hey, I'm, I love being along for the ride. Dayton Moore can continue to, you know, make me look like a fool all he wants. I, that'd, that'd be great. But uh, I think I think the White Sox are going to have a lot of eyes on them this year. They, they had a very intriguing offseason. Rick Hahn, I think, has obviously shown he's one of the kind of the brighter young general managers in the game. And, uh, yeah, the Central is going to be a really interesting division to watch this year. I think you're right. Cleveland's going to be kind of the team to, to beat in Detroit. You know, until they get knocked off, there's kind of still a tough team that you got to account for. And, uh, you know, the White Sox will be right in the mix, I think, and the Royals, I mean, who knows? They they seem to find a way to go on second-half spurts, so you never know with them. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate you coming on the show and telling us about the White Sox and uh, uh, being part of the show. No problem, and I guess the key is that everybody has to beat up on the Twins. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. At least we can all agree that the White Twins will probably be in last place. But, you know, it's baseball. You never know. Sometimes sometimes teams surprise you. So, uh, You can follow Jim on Twitter at Jim uh, Margulis, at M-A-R-G-A-L-U-S. Uh, you can also follow his writing at SouthsideSox.com. Thanks a lot, Jim. Yeah, no problem. Uh, we'll have to do it again. Yeah, definitely. Well, that does it for Royals Review Radio. I'd like to thank all our guests for appearing on the show. You can find links to their work and some of the things we talked about uh, on the show at our site at www.royalsreview.com. I'd also like to thank the Flushlights for providing the music you're listening to. I'm your host, Max Reaper. Thanks for listening and uh, have a terrific opening day. Middle-aged you, middle-aged you, middle-aged you.